What is up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition. Our first in-season Wednesday all-access show. That's right. Two hours from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock tonight. And we have plenty for you from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter. My sixth season of doing this Wednesday all-access show. And so excited to bring it to you. So, what do we have on the show? How about Tashawn Gibson? Yes, our Deep Slant interview of the week is, I would say, with one of our newest Texans. I guess he's new because he hasn't played a regular season game for the Texans. But Sean Gibson will be on the show. We'll also have our good buddy from Sports Radio 610. You hear him in the afternoons from 2 to 6 on Clint Kamla. He is the Clint of Clinton Kamla. Clint Sterner, Dirty Red, is going to join us and talk some ball, talk some quarterbacks, talk about Deshaun Watson, talk about Drew Brees, talk about playing in a loud very, very loud environment, and how you handle that. What do you do to handle that as a quarterback? Clint's been in those situations before, so we'll talk to Clint at the end of this hour. We will also have Andre Ware. You know him. He has been with Mark for 18 years. He's our good friend. Mark had him uh, on the air. Talked to him earlier today. We'll have that for you as well as Zach Streif. Now, if that name sounds familiar, like, wait a second, was he a player? Yeah, he was. He was a player for the New Orleans Saints. He is now the voice of the New Orleans Saints. So it's time for Mimi Had the Mics with Zach Streif and Mark Vandermeer. So that is going to be fun to hear Zach. I was actually on his radio show yesterday talking about the Texans. So it was good to jump in there with Zach, former offensive lineman. In fact, one of our famous photos, I say famous, I used to see it outside my office every day. It was a photo of J.J. in the 2015 game against the Saints. And J.J. was leaping up to block a pass, and Zach Streif was the offensive tackle that was actually blocking him. Zach Streif now the play-by-play voice, so men behind the mics, we'll have that later in the show. And we'll have the in-lab crew talking about this Laramie Tunsil deal, this trade. We took a deep, deep, deep dive into this trade, and we like it. I liked it. I like it a lot, mainly because I like Laramie Tunsil a lot, as we found out. From a Harris 100 in 2016, he was the number one prospect in 2016. Ended up with the Texans over the weekend. So we've got plenty to talk about. Let's kick it off with some hot reads. Hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes or less can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And on a Wednesday, that means it is... Texans Audio Toothbox. All right, stick a coin in the slot and see what happens. All right, this one's coming up. Bill O'Brien went to the podium on Tuesday, had plenty of things to address. Now, he addressed a lot of that on Labor Day on Monday with everything that had gone on throughout the weekend. And, of course, one of the main talking points was Laramie Tunsil, offensive tackle for your Houston Texans. And Bill said, this guy's a quick learner. He learns really well. Laramie comes from a system in Miami that's very similar to what we were doing. Chad O'Shea being a coordinator there in Miami. Laramie had heard a lot of the terms, you know what I mean? So he's a very quick learner. And, of course, the offensive line has been helping him get up to speed as much as possible. Because, look, learning in Miami, that's great. And the verbiage is going to be pretty similar. But learning it with the guys you're going to play with, that matters. And Coach said the O-line room is working double time to get Laramie up to speed. Laramie's been in here all day working with Mike, working with a couple guys, some of the veteran guys, Nick Martin, guys like that. So I think, 
you know, look, at the end of the day, that's going to be a challenge early, early on here because he just got here. But I think that he's played a lot of football and maybe what somebody calls an apple, he, we call an orange. You know what I mean? It's just, just different terms, but it's the same blocking assignment. I'll give you an example of what coach means there about apple and orange. I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but when – and I've always grown up this way in playing football that the, the – anything – let's say a run play. Any run play that goes to the right ends in an even number, uh, 20, 32, 36, 28. Always to the right is an even number. To the left, it's an odd number, uh, 19, 25, 21. That's the way a lot of people have done it. Even numbers to the right, odd numbers to the left. But I've known plenty of places where they flip that. And it's even to the left, odd to the right. I know some other places that number it just from left all the way to right. So the furthest outside of the left, that might be 41. You want to run and play 41. That's the furthest outside. Then you want to run 49. That's all the way to the outside right. Some people will number it all the way across that way. So that's what Coach is talking about. But an outside zone is an outside zone. So if the Texans call it you know, 42, but the Dolphins called it, you know, 37. It's an outside zone. Okay, it's outside zone. Figure out what you got to do. Okay, well, Miami, we called it this. and Houston, we call it that. That's, that's what he's talking about. But if you can relate it to something and go, oh, yeah, that's what they call. All right, I got it. I'm good, coach. I got it. If you know what the play concept is, then you'll be fine. And that's what coach is talking about right there. Now, obviously, a big key for the Texans will be Deshaun Watson. Coach was asked about Deshaun carrying too much pressure. That playoff game last year, did he carry too much pressure on himself? And Coach said, no, he doesn't put pressure on himself. He's the same guy pretty much every single day. I get the sense that Deshaun Watson is the same guy every day. I think he's got a really good demeanor. I think that he's a calm guy. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a very hard worker, and he loves the team. He cares about his teammates. He's going to do whatever it takes to – you know, help the team win, whether whether it's preparation or uh, taking care of his own body or obviously, you know, some of the things, um, you know, all of the things that he does on the field. You know, he's a very instinctive player. He's really improved in his knowledge in a lot of different areas. And I think the best thing about Deshaun is that he's the same guy every day. You know, what you see is what you get, and that's really good. Absolutely. Really good. No doubt about that. Now, one of the great things about finally getting to this week is – the chance to talk about the other team. Oh, thank goodness. But unfortunately, on the other side, these New Orleans Saints are pretty darn good, including one of the best wide receivers in the league, and that is Michael Thomas. And obviously, Coach was asked about his impact. He's got good size, good speed, uh, very, very good route runner. He's got great chemistry with the quarterback on the same page. I mean, the ball's in the air many times before he comes out of his break. Uh, he understands coverage. He understands leverage. Uh, he's got excellent hands. He's got it all. I mean, he's a he's a great player, and it's going to be a big challenge for us. Yeah, he's the full package. And when you think about guys that got major deals this offseason, Michael Thomas got a huge deal this offseason with the Saints. Ezekiel Elliott just got a huge deal with the Dallas Cowboys. Now, those two were teammates at Ohio State. <laughs> you know, they go, Ohio State was good when they won a championship in 14. <laughs> yeah, just one of the best wide receivers in the league, one of the best running backs in the league paid as the number one running back that's coach talking about michael thomas all right let's put another coin in the slot and see what happens 
This one coming up, DW4. That's right, Deshaun Watson. Of course, he was asked about the Laramie Tunsil deal. I mean, you got to ask the quarterback, right? The guy that will protect his blind side. You would expect Deshaun Watson to be excited, and you would be absolutely correct. Worked in our favor, for sure. Um, you know, just a, it's a deal um, that the, the front office is something that they want to do. Um, they try to help this team, you know, get us as good as we want to be and uh, to help us out and go win some games. That he will definitely do. So what's his scouting report on Mr. Laramie Tunsil? Here's Deshaun. Great football IQ, um, very athletic, who uh, just loves the game of football. Um, he's already fitting in with the, the whole locker room and everyone's talking to him and making him feel home and comfortable. So as far as on the field, um, you know, he's a professional. He's a, he's a great left tackle. He's a great teammate. And uh, he's a guy that's work, that works hard every day. Man, you talk about a specimen. This guy is an athlete. Athlete. But the question is, is there enough time to get ready by Monday Night Football? Look, six players have been added to this roster I guess Duke makes seven, but Duke's been here for a few weeks. So that's seven guys you got to get up to speed. Deshaun said, yeah, they'll be fine by Monday Night Football. All those guys are great professionals. They all understand what we want to do here. Um, that's the reason why, you know, the, the trades happen and the, and the moves happen. But, um, you know, all those guys played football before and they're here. And they uh, you know, professionals. So they're all up to speed and, and ready to go also. Well, I think we're all ready to go. I think we're all ready to go. There's no question about that. Deshaun was asked a kind of similar question to what Bill was asked about feeling pressure as the leader of this team, as the face of this franchise. You know, quarterback can internalize a lot of those things. Deshaun said, I never feel pressure, man. It's football. This is football. Football is what I've been doing my whole life. The only difference is, is, of course, it's the best athletes, and I'm getting paid for it. But if I treat it just like I was in high school where I'm just having fun, doing what I'm doing, preparing like I'm preparing and, and go out there and perform like I've been performing, and then, um, you know, everything else is going to, you know, work out its own. You know, pressure comes from when you're not prepared and you're not ready for those moments. And I feel like, you know, I prepared throughout the week to be ready for those moments so when those moments have and they happen, you know, I don't, you know, a lot of pressure to, you know, sink in. That's as true a statement as you can make. If you know what you're doing or you know what you want to do, and you have a plan, you execute that plan, you don't feel pressure. And that's, that's the way Deshaun has been. There's no question about that. He has been preparing his plan and executing his plan for the day that he walked in this building. And now I know he, like others, want to take it to a different level and go win a Super Bowl. I think, I think we all do. There's no question. Uh, I thought it was a, a perfect answer to that particular question. All right, we got one more quarter to put in the jukes box. And it's coming up, number 99. That's right, J.J. Watt. You pretty much assume when Deshaun goes to the podium that J.J. has gone to the podium. And the other trade, obviously, that happened during the weekend, which is Devion Clowney, going to the Seattle Seahawks. Right off the bat, J.J. was asked, how do you replace his production? Not easy. We just need to go out there and play football. I mean, we have uh... – we got guys out there, um, Whitney obviously on the edge, myself on the edge, DJ, Dunny, uh, Lowe. Uh, we got B-Mac and Zach and then Jay Reed, J. Joe, all the guys in the back end. So, you know, um, we have a lot of guys out there. Um, obviously, it's tough to lose a player like that. Um, but we have a lot of guys out there to, that step up and make plays. So, 
I think what JJ was trying to say, which is pretty much what he said, we have some dudes out there. We have dudes. We have some good dudes. There's no question about that. Obviously, JJ was going to be asked about his thoughts on the Laramie Tunsil deal. So let's make it a clean sweep. Let's hear from everybody on Laramie Tunsil. He's a good player, and obviously uh, anytime you can add players to your team that are going to help your team and make your team better, um, it's a good good thing. Short, sweet, to the point. Now, if you're wondering, wait a second, didn't J.J. face Tunsil? No. J.J. stood on the left side of the whole game. He faced Juwan James more than he faced Tunsil. But going to the Superdome, that's a pretty cool thing. I remember my first time. I was in the 1993 Sugar Bowl. I saw Alabama-Miami, one versus two. It was an unbelievable game in Alabama kicked Miami up one side and down the other. It was amazing. J.J. also remembers his first trip to the Superdome. I'm pretty sure it was my first game there. Um, Steve Gleason came out before the opening kickoff, and he led the Houdat chant. And, I mean, when I tell you, I I think I'm pretty sure it was my first game in the Superdome, and it was my rookie year. And when I tell you that as a rookie you're standing in a stadium and Steve Gleason walks like five yards, puts his hand up, and they do the Houdat chant, that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever seen in a stadium because of everything that encompassed it with Gleason, with the history, the tradition, the, everything that was happening with him. Um, that, was, that was a moment where you, you could tell that um, player, fans, community, city, they had something special there, and I thought that was really cool for me to witness. And I don't know if I've ever heard uh, anything that loud before a game before, so it was really cool. That is a pretty cool moment. But Monday the roof is going to be blown off with the noise. I can promise you that. can promise you that. So there you go. A little Texans audio jukebox. In our hot reads, again, brought to you by Geico. We get back. Let's hear from one of the newest Texans, Tashawn Gibson. Starting safety for your Houston Texans. DP Sitter sat down with him for our Deep Slant interview of the week. We'll have that for you next on Texans All Access. Hey, Texans fans, head on over to Louisiana for great music, great gumbo, and great gaming at Cachada Casino Resort in Kinder. With Coasati Pines, the highest-rated casino golf course in Louisiana, plus three beautiful hotels, award-winning restaurants, off-track betting, bingo, and a gaming floor larger than all the casinos in Lake Charles combined. Cachada is the largest casino resort in Louisiana and Louisiana's best bet. Located in Kinder, Louisiana, just east of Lake Charles. Take I-10, exit 44 to Kinder. For more information, visit ccrla.com. With all the activity the Texans have had over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of difficult to say newest Texan to Sean Gibson, but the former Jaguar has never played it down for the Texans, and he will do that on Monday night against the New Orleans Saints. To Sean Gibson in our Deep Slant interview of the week with our own DP Sidhu. DP, take it away. It's a deep slant presented by Xfinity. Joining us today, Tashawn Gibson heading into week one. How are you doing today, Tashawn? I am doing good. Good as possible. As I good as possible. Yes, For a long week, a night game, things are different around here as far as practicing. You guys are practicing a little bit later. Mm-hmm. What's this week been like? I know there's an intensity about training camp, but how does the air in the building, on the practice field, in the locker room, how does that all change when it's actually the regular season? Um, I think that the whole dynamics of everything kind of changed because at this point, training camp, everything you do in training camp, 
OTAs, the summertime is to prepare you for these moments right here. And I guess the stage is set because we kick off on Monday Night Football. So the stage is not only going to be electric, but, you know, the whole world will be watching. So I think that, you know, everything that we have done up until this point leads us to right now. So I guess the dynamics of it has definitely changed, man, because now we're playing for wins and losses. And uh, everything, whenever the, the you, you're keeping score, man, wins and losses matter, you know, to get to that big dance. I think that it's always important to start fast. All right, you missed a little bit of time in the preseason. How do you feel now? Bill O'Brien said you'd be ready for this week one game. How how are you feeling? Heading oh, this I, week? I, I'm good. I mean, honestly, if we're being honest, that was kind of like a little break, right? Give me a little break. No, <laughs> um, you know, even injury, some time off. Just yes. a little bit, man. Yeah. I'm getting up there, man. But uh, you know, realistically, I think that you know injuries are part of the game, and um, you know, being around the game as long as I've I, I have been around, I, I, I'm understanding and mentally got to. I guess understanding that, you know, if I'm not physically out there, I definitely need to be more in tune mentally, and I think that that's one of the things that I've been preparing myself because the physical part is going to take care of itself, your God-given ability. Uh, it's the mental part, me being a new face, new to this defense, trying to find the, the small creases in this defense. Everybody know uh, Coach Cornell defenses are pretty complex. So I think that was the biggest thing for me. But as far as mentally and physically, man, I feel pretty good. I feel great. And uh, having all the guys out there is a is a, is a great feeling man and I feel uh, like I said I feel good man I'm gonna be 100% full goal next Monday you come out here and it's like a few new pieces on offense and defense what's it been like with the new players it was a kind of a crazy whirlwind weekend with the Absolutely. trades but you got a few new players on on offense and defense uh Barcavius Mingo you mm-hmm. many followed his career but right. you were actually there when he first yeah. came into the league what do you know about him? Oh, man, Mingo. Mingo's a good guy. Don't talk much. Going to bring his hard head, and he's going to go hard. He's going to do anything that you ever ask him to do. I mean, we drafted him as a DN when he got to us in Cleveland back then. Moved in the linebacker. I mean, he was the first top five pick. You know, that guys like that aren't truly responsive uh, to, to you know, change and things like that. I mean, the guy just came. He was a top pick, and he came and did anything we asked him to do for the team. Um, and I think that it was one of the things where um, – you know, a guy like that, man, you can you can never have too many guys like a guy like Mingo. He's a guy that you want on your team because if you need him to line up at punt, he was the PP. He, he, he He's going to do anything to help the team win. And like I say, I can't say enough good things about him, man. He's a humble guy, uh, ultra-athletic, ultra-talented, man. I mean, he's running faster than DBs, man. I'm telling you, I've seen a guy oh, is that right? He's running. So I think that having a guy like him, you can never have too many guys like that. And, you know, I'm pretty sure all the acquisitions was pretty good. I just personally know Mingo, man, and I'm excited to have him on my team again. Well, uh, earlier in camp, uh, the Texans traded for Duke Johnson. You you guys overlapped a little bit in yeah, Cleveland yeah, yeah. as well, right? Yeah, Duke. Duke. Uh, he was a young guy when I first got there, man. I remember, um, you know, just remember telling him, man, like, man, he's going to be a problem when he get older because, like, the things that you've seen him do as a young guy, and, you know, he still was wet behind the ears, so to say. And he was a guy who truly just, he understood the game. And you say, man, five years this dude is going to be a problem. And you fast four or five years from now, not only is he a threat when you give him the ball in the backfield, but he's a threat if you line him up. He's a mitch match on linebackers, and he can give safeties problem if you want to bring a safety to cover him. Uh, a running back like that, man, is always a good problem. We're facing one of those guys in New Orleans, man. So having a guy like that on our team with that type of versatility uh, combined with, the Will Fullers and the DeAndre Hopkins and the Deshaun Watsons, I mean, that's a scary sight. That's definitely scary, man. And I'm happy, again, to be reconnected with a guy like that because I know what to expect from Duke, man, from from the time he came to league to right now, man. He's just been a consummate pro, man, and he's just only getting better. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. Have you played against Drew Brees before? I have played against When's Drew When's the last Brees. time you played against I him? I played against him, fun fact, 2014. I had a 67-yard interception return for you a touchdown. You did? Absolutely. I feel like I should have looked this up. But and I, that ball is yeah. definitely in my case. So, you know what would be better than one ball? Having two balls. So, you know, I would like to get another one. But, no, I played against Drew Brees, man, 
ultra competitive. So that was 2014? 2014, 2014. You were yes, not ma'am. with the Jaguars. I was with the Cleveland Browns. Oh, it, it was, was a the home, Browns. It was okay. our home opener in Cleveland in 2014, so it was there my right. third year. In home the, opener in, in Cleveland, okay. That was pretty crazy. And, you know, I just that, – that play right there still is just – I can still feel the chills from, from that play, man. <laughs> you know, I felt like I was running forever. But, yeah, I had my experiences. Interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was you know, it was, it was pretty electric, man. So hopefully I could duplicate that. But, uh, you know, playing against a guy like him is always a challenge, man. Well, we're, talk- well, we're going down memory lane. Do you remember your first primetime game? What was your first primetime game? My first primetime game. Or Monday game. night game, even. It, my first prom. See, we didn't get many primetime games in Cleveland or Jacksonville. <laughs> or Jacksonville. So <laughs> my first primetime was Thursday night against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Joe Flacco, the, the, you know, that's when Baltimore, the, the NFC North ran through Baltimore. They had Ed Reed and Ray Lewis and all those guys. I remember being starstruck, like, that's really Ray Lewis. And that's, it was primetime, so you got the you got the, the lights cameras are on. right there on top of your head. So I remember that, man. It was pretty crazy. It was definitely crazy. And, you know, as long as I've been in the league, I haven't had many primetime games. Play one Monday night football game, so I'm pretty excited about it, man. And I don't think many people watched it back then. So uh, <laughs> this right here might be different circumstances for sure. I think people are going to be watching. Absolutely. Eyeballs are going to be on Monday night football. It's the Saints. It's their first game since that NFC Championship playoff loss for the Texans, all these new pieces. Let's talk about you and Justin Reed because I know throughout the offseason you guys have really worked on your chemistry. Both of you guys missed a little bit of time in camp, but how do you feel about where the communication is right now between you and him and with Romeo Cornell's defense. Oh man, I think that with Jay Reed, um, our communication off the field is 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 so detrimental because we communicate just as much off the field as we do on the field. I mean, whether it's exchanging jokes or whether it's just talking about life or whether it's talking about ball, um, I think that would truly with Jay Reed, I think that that this has been an easy transition because it's just more than football with him. And I haven't been knowing him a long time, but man, he's a, he, he's one of those young guys that, you know, you see so much potential in him, man, and I've gravitated towards him, man, and you can kind of see that he understands that I've had a lot of, uh, played a lot of experience in this league, man. He, he He's like a sponge, and you know, that's a beautiful thing, having a young guy who's that good, but still eager to learn and want to be better. And I think that our communication, man, is, is up there with some of the best communication I've been a part of, man. And like I say, he's one of the guys who knows the defense better than 90% and the 95% of the building. So, you know, having a guy like that, my running mate next to me looking across, um, having a guy like that has also been official. So uh, I think the communication for me and Jay Reed has been awesome um, on and off the field, and that's that's the only thing that you can ask for, man, me being a new guy into this system. Um, he has truly just been more welcoming than anybody, man, and I'm a very appreciative for a young guy like that. All right, you're going up against the Saints. It's such a high-powered offense. What's going to be the key to stopping a guy like Michael Thomas and Drew Brees in that Saints office. What are you really focused on this week? Oh, man, you think that when you see so many guys like Kamara with Drew Brees, with Michael Thomas, um, you know, the tight end, Cook, uh, they got so many moving parts that it's just it's hard to try to say I'm a pinpoint and focus on one person, man, because, you know, that's a beautiful thing of, you know, the luxury that they have. You have perennial pro bowlers, perennial all pros over there. And the thing about it And it's we, been a pretty consistent team over the last few years. They've sort of kept that core together. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, the core. So you got these guys know each other. It's not a lot of change. It's not a lot of turnover where Drew Brees don't know who he's throwing the ball to. He don't know this guy. These are guys who he's been around for years, man. He's helped mold these guys' young careers, man, to be the kind of stars that they are today. So having a, ha, having going against and knowing that, uh, the only thing that you can do is go out there and play your game. And I think that you got got to tune out the noise. Yeah, we know it's Drew Brees, a first battle Hall of Fame. Michael Thomas, highest paid receiver in NFL history. But none of that matters on Monday night, man, because at the end of the day, he got to go up against who I feel are, are great cornerbacks in themselves and, and great defensive backs in ourselves. So at the end of the day, all of the accolades go out the window, man. It's man on man. And I think that the biggest thing for us is go out there and understand that, hey, we understand who we're going against, but we need to make sure our presence is felt and let them know that 
they got to understand who they're going against. And, uh, you know, it's a confidence thing. We go out there with the confidence. We can match up and play against anybody, no matter who's lined up across from us. And I think that that's the beautiful part about, um, you know, being in this defense, man. We got to start ourselves on our own, man. We got first battle Hall of Famers, too. So um, it's going to be a fun game, fun match, man. We're excited about it. All right, before I let you go, i got to ask you about your coaching career because you sort of have to put that uh, off to the side with Tashawn Gibson Jr. <laughs> How's he doing in, in uh, his Little League football? He is doing, man, a first game will be the September 13th. So, you know, I'm going to keep you guys up there. <laughs> okay. soon as I get home. I told you I'd ask you again I know, camp. I appreciate yeah. it. So, as <laughs> soon as we get home, he know definitely he got he got dead treadmills. So I'm going to update y'all tonight <laughs> on the Instagram. He's he's super excited for me to be up here these late days. I promise y'all. He's because not, there's less time, oh, less, less time you have for yeah. him. Right. He asks mom all the time, "Is what time's dad come home?" So she calls me, and say, "What time will you be home?" And I say, "Well, you know, I'll be home around a certain time." And then she says, "So he has no workouts tonight." No, he got workouts tonight. <laughs> so, but no, uh, I'm gonna keep y'all updated, man. But seriously, um, you know, the coach. We love thing, the videos. Love I, the videos. You gotta follow this guy on Instagram. I have to push him, and uh, you know, tonight I'm a, <laughs> just for that man. He got. He's definitely. Gonna, now I reminded you. He's oh, gonna great. get it tonight, and you know, I was gonna give him a break, but since he 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 wants Chick Fil A for dinner, he got to work that off. So, He's got to work for the Chick-fil-A. He definitely got to work for the Chick-fil-A. All right, good stuff. Thanks so much, Deshaun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. What a great interview there with Deshaun Gibson. Looking forward to seeing him in the Texans uniform for the first time on Monday evening. Coming up next, one of our good friends, Clint Sterner, Sports Radio 610, former Arkansas quarterback, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback. The man knows all. I love talking about Clint. We'll do that next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access, our in-season edition. So we go two full hours tonight, and I am thrilled to be joined by a guy that joined the Sports Radio 610 team. We joined it probably a couple years ago, but he joined it in full this past summer. You can hear him in the afternoons from 2 to 6. He is fantastic. He knows his ball. He played at Baytown Lee, played quarterback at Arkansas. He played for the Dallas Cowboys, amongst others. He is Clint Sterner. Clint, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Man, thanks for having me, brother. Not much over here. Just uh, getting ready for another beautiful day in Houston. You know how it is, man. It's football season. College football is all over the map right now. And uh, the NFL is kicking off uh, tomorrow night, man. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Gosh, that tomorrow night. I, I thought about it this way. The Green Bay Packers team and staff are traveling today for their game. That's just crazy to think about. Clint, the Saints on Monday night. I'll ask you this as a quarterback because I, I think this is one of the more important keys in the game. You talk about communication and on the road in that building. How difficult is the communication going to be for Deshaun Watson at the quarterback position? How do you handle a crowd that will be that loud where your receivers can't hear you, much less your linemen hearing you? How do you handle that as a quarterback? Well, it starts with emphasizing it right now, John. I mean, I think in, in practice every single day that whether there's music there or not, there has to be an emphasis on body language, hand signals, and things of that nature, and as, as little conversation and talk as, as possible, particularly from the sideline to the quarterback. Um, you know, that needs to be all hand signals and, and, and really strong hand signals. Um, and then as the quarterback communicates, I think he's got to be – extra demonstrative I mean he's got he's got to make sure that everybody can hear him he's got to move up and down the line he's got to be a lot more active so so everybody can hear him so it starts there uh and secondly you know I I think the the style of ball of which you play which is important for the Texans this year anyway but eliminating the sacks eliminating the, the the big negative plays the big point swings 
and things like that and keeping the momentum uh, at, at, at bay, which is difficult to do in New Orleans, but keeping that at bay as much as possible is going to be key. Clint, obviously you talked about this on your show, uh, and, I, and I've heard you talk about this this week. Laramie Tunsil added at left tackle, big trade over the weekend, and he gets added into that offensive line that's going to have a rookie, maybe two on it, have a couple of vets. It's still going to be a young offensive line, but would you add a left tackle like that, a Laramie Tunsil? What does that do for your offensive line? And as a quarterback, what does that do for your confidence standing in the pocket knowing that he's got your back, he's got your blind side? Well, it, it, what it does is it, it limits, if you're talking about just the guys up front, it limits what you have to go into a game with. When you've got a guy like Laramie Tunsil who can handle a defensive end, now there's no left tackle in the, in the, in the game that you want to consistently put on an island versus some of the best rushers in the league. So there's still a, a dynamic of needing to keep that guy off balance with running backs chipping and tight ends chipping, things of that nature. But you, 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 get, you, you limit your, your plan from a protection standpoint to maybe sliding away from him. Uh, you limit your plan from the number of calls that Titus Howard has to, has to know and execute. And, and it just makes – the trickle-down effect is making everybody's job on the offensive line a little less complicated, a little more simple so that they can actually just react and play versus have to, have to necessarily be able to do every – they don't have to be left-handed and right-handed on every single protection every single game this year. You, you, you can narrow that protection package down just a little bit, at least based on what you, what you plan on using going into a game. So if, if you're talking about how it affects the offensive line, it, it's big time from a scheme standpoint, from a communication standpoint. It's it, Titus Howard and Max Sharping, those are two guys that are going to rely heavily on the veterans on this football team, on this offensive line, to help them from a communication standpoint. John, we don't talk enough about that, man. We don't talk enough yeah. about offensive linemen that are great communicators. They can get away with maybe not being big enough or maybe not being fast enough because they know what the hell they're supposed to do instead of guessing. They're reacting instead of thinking. And so um, that, that communication up front with, that, with adding Laramie Tunsil is going to be big as well. He, look, there's no negative spin on Laramie Tunsil being added to this offensive line. It is a big-time upgrade, and the team on the offensive side of the football should be significantly better immediately. I've heard guys talk about, well, it's going to take time. No, 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 that's not the case. This is, a, this is a potential pro bowler. This is one of the best left tackles in the game, and that goes beyond just being physical. This guy mentally is next level, and 10 days is plenty of time to pick up a game plan in, in today's game to pick up a game plan and be able to execute it full go on Monday night. He's got three or four extra days to do it. This guy will be fine, and I expect to see a, a, a really a, a big-time improvement up front Monday night versus New Orleans. Yeah, Clint, one of the things that I've talked about and talked with uh, different people about is the fact that when you have Laramie there and it's, that solidifies hopefully that left side for a long time, it allows Deshaun to get back in empty which is something that he likes to do. Now, the game has changed since you and I played it. I mean, you were under center. I mean, how much when you were at Arkansas and how much with Dallas? How much were you under center? Deshaun has played in the shotgun his entire life, and a lot of that time he was in empty, which gave him a view of the whole field. He likes being back there, but it was almost as if the Texans couldn't afford to to do that because that would put five on four, and in some cases that was a disadvantage for the Texans' offensive line last year. But now with Tunsil maybe allows Deshaun to do a little bit more from what he's comfortable doing. 
Can you speak to that, Clint, the fact that he yeah. likes being an empty and that can help him knowing that that's protected and that's something he's more comfortable with? Well, I think from a protection standpoint, you can be a little more predictable, which means you can be in gun, you can camp your quarterback out, and you don't have to help your left tackle. You can you can depend on your left tackle being able to hold his own, even though that defensive end that he's lined, that's lined up across him, across from him, knows that they're in gun. There's no run threat. I'm going to pin my ears back and go get the quarterback. Well, now you got to go through Laramie Tunzel. Now, now you got a guy that's equal to, if not better than you are, at his respective position, and you got to go through him. But I tell you what, this does, John. Is, is Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien. You know, I think in the past when we've evaluated those guys, like the play calling and the scheming and the planning and all that, you can, you can almost sit there and go, well, I would like to see maybe this or that, but I can understand why the hell they're not doing it because the quarterback's needing a bus to go to Jacksonville. Like, I mean, you, right. you, there's certain things you cannot do. This is going to allow Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien to do whatever they believe is best for Deshaun Watson. They, they've had to put other problems ahead of doing what's best for Deshaun Watson because they were having to make sure he was healthy. They were having to make sure he didn't get knocked out of games. And so now the play callers, planners, and schemers can go, okay, what does our quarterback do best? And let's do more of that instead of the focus consistently being on how are we going to protect, how are we going to take shots, how are we going to put a third down package together when we can't protect on first and second down. So – you know, I, I think it just it, it takes the handcuffs off of Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly, and it allows them. Not, they don't have to be the best play callers in America. I mean, that's, that's unfair expectations. But what they have to do is they have to do, and they're able to do now whatever Deshaun Watson does best. And as you mentioned, we all saw it. His biggest games were on the brightest when the lights were bright and on the biggest stage versus Alabama, one of the best defenses I've ever seen. Two straight years, and he was in gun ninety percent of the time doing his thing that's what they that I would imagine that's what they want to do more of and at the very least they feel a lot more comfortable today doing that than they did uh, a week ago Clint on the other side Drew Brees Uh, it's just going to be one of a litany of quarterbacks the Texans have to face this year and I'm sure that in in your time in the league and stepping away as analyst that you've watched quarterbacks nonstop. What is it that makes Drew so good and so difficult to stop consistently? Well, I think the combination of him and Sean Payton. I mean, Sean Payton's one of the greatest aggressive play callers in this game. You know, I mean, it's, you, you talk. Look at the Patriots. I mean, they're not real aggressive. They'll take shots when they can, but they're they're known for. I mean, better than anybody ever in the game of just taking what the defense gives them. Right. New Orleans is a team that wants to be aggressive. And Drew's not the biggest arm in America, but he understands that he's got to get the ball out on time. He's got to be extremely pinpoint accurate. He's got to be, he's got to be technically flawless in the pocket. And when you couple that with, with uh, who I think right now is definitely the most aggressive, maybe Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, maybe McVay in, in L.A., maybe in the same category. But when you talk about aggressive, vertical, passing game, Drew Brees and, and Sean Payton are two of the absolute best at their respective positions. It's like it's like air raiding college ball. It's like arena ball that I played forever. I mean, they are going to apply constant pressure to your defense, and you cannot take a breath for four quarters. There's a lot of games you go into, and you go, oh, these guys are going to run it, run it. And they may take one shot per drive or maybe one shot when they cross midfield. These dudes will take shots when they're backed up inside their own two. And so it's all about Drew being unbelievably comfortable 
doing things in, in an aggressive fashion, and that's exactly who his play caller is, man. It's, it's, it's one of the best marriages that you and I have ever seen in the game of football in our lifetime. I'm sure there's, out, there's some out there that we can think of, but, man, you talk about a perfect marriage and the timing being right in Drew's career and Sean's career. I mean, if I had to sum them up in one, in one sentence, it's aggressive, applying pressure from anywhere on the field for four quarters. So your tail better be ready to play four, not three and a half. We've got our buddy Clint Sterner on with us. Clint, are you ready for – this is one of my – I don't know if it's harebrained theory, but this is one of my theories I've crafted over the years. And you played the position, so I, I, I want to I, – I trust your, your thoughts on this. When when you go into a, a game of any sort, you know, you'd like your quarterback to be as kind of level-headed and calm, but you know it's burning inside all of them. No, no matter what they look like on the outside, they're just burning. they got the energy like, okay, it's game one or it's a big game or whatever the case might be. I mean, they got a lot of energy, and you can only throw so much in pregame to kind of get some of that energy out. My theory is always in the first drive of a game, kind of finding when that can happen, but early in the game to just throw one as far as you can. Max protect, put your fastest guy out wide, whether it's one-on-one or double coverage, doesn't matter, and just haul off and throw one as far as you can. Get all the energy out. Maybe you hit it, maybe you don't, but you put the secondary on alert that you're going to throw the ball deep at some point in the game. They back up a little bit. Maybe that helps you in the run game. Maybe you hit it. Maybe it ends up being a big play. I'm a huge proponent of throwing one deep, early in the game, and that's really helpful no matter what happens for your quarterback. Your thoughts? Well, i tell you what I'd do. If I played a John Harris coached offensive football team, I'd play cover two out of the, out of the <laughs> gate and make sure you didn't do that, brother. So, yeah. No, I mean, look, there's, there's a lot to be said. About, I, I was a quarterback. I want to see a completion, man. Yeah. I want to see a completion. So if the corner's soft, let me throw a hitch, right? If, if, if you've got a scheme – um, you know, we, when I was in college, we were a run-heavy football team. So the old school, just token fake, off-tackle, fullback bluff the defensive end. He gets into the flats. you got a tight end on a corner over the top. And, and so you, regardless of what cover that coverage they throw at you, you've got a snag, you've got a flat, you've got a corner. All should be high-percentage throws that I could get a completion. So uh, now when you, if you're asking me in, in that question, and, and I'm answering it, and I'm number four, if I'm Deshaun Watson – I'm like, hell yeah, coach, dial that thing up, baby. I got I got new copies out there. Yeah. I throw it eighty all day. So it depends. Are you asking Clint Turner? Are you asking uh, you, you asking Clint Turner, the old uh, washed up quarterback that that was about an average arm strength? Or are you asking the analyst that can talk about Deshaun Watson a little bit? <laughs> probably probably a little bit of both, man. Probably a little bit of both. I mean, I I just I, it was it was interesting because when I, my last year coaching, I had a quarterback that just he got so amped up. And for him, he didn't have a big arm, but what he wanted to do was he wanted to hit somebody. So I would give him a run early on to kind of calm him down. Uh, and then after, as time went on, I was like, you know what? Maybe throwing deep is maybe a little bit better because I didn't want him to get so jacked up that he was running everybody over. And it, we kind of found like a level ground. But he got so amped up, I had to find something that really kind of just Settled him down, almost kind of like smacked him into the game, so to speak, and a hit. John, the that, ball would do that. And it, here's, that doesn't surprise me about you. I mean, you know, most coaches don't think that deep, but I mean, you clearly are, are, are whatever you put your mind to, you're going to do a hell of a job with it. So coaching was was no different. But you, you, you know, either way it goes, I think the important message to what I hear you saying is whoever's coaching that quarterback better know him well enough to get him. Get him cranked up early so that you come out of the locker room on fire. You come out yep. at halftime with your hair on fire. Whether that's a completion 
a run, a sweat, a hit, whatever it is, that there's definitely some science to getting that guy his mind in the right spot. And, and uh, to each their own. I couldn't throw it very far, so I wasn't going to try to impress anybody with my arm strength. But uh, I just needed to see I, – I needed to feel myself let one go. Yeah. And I needed to see my 4-3 receiver catch that thing and do work. That's all I wanted to see, and then I was in my groove, baby. Yeah, absolutely. Clint, this one is not on the Texans, but this Saturday I was watching game day, and I thought of you because they did a long segment on a former All-American that you played with by the name of Brandon Burlesworth. And I, I watched this segment, and, I mean, by the end of it, I was, I was in tears. I'm almost in tears talking about him. But you played with, with Brandon, and there's a movie made about his life. What – what did the NFL miss out on in not seeing Brandon Burlesworth because he was tragically taken from us in a car accident before his rookie year? What did we miss out on in the NFL by not seeing him play? Well, I mean, I, I think one of the greatest college stories, obviously, and I don't see any reason why it it would not have carried over into the NFL. You're talking about a guy that was a tireless worker like I'd never seen before. He was one of the most unique individuals that I have ever met before and it's not even close it's not he's not one of he is the most unique individual that i'd ever met uh before and 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 look i mean i I encourage everybody out there to go watch the movie greater um one it's a true story two they do a damn near perfect job of relaying his message and 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 really painting a picture of his life i mean there's not a there's not a stretch about brandon in there now the center that runs in the rain with him, my boy Grant Garrett, he did he didn't run a, a lick, much less in the rain. So, uh, but but yeah, I mean, look, man, he was just a he was just a special special human that most of us and most guys in the NFL would have never been able to relate to. He was such a quirky individual, such a unique individual, such an introvert. Um, I mean, you, you talk you being an old coach, you, you can relate to this. I mean, you talk about a guy being coachable. Around here, we hear Bill O'Brien. Um, to the point, I think some people, or a lot of people, get tired of hearing about um, being a team guy, being accountable, being. A, I mean, those are things that Brandon Burlesworth uh, did in his sleep. I mean, it, it was to the tenth degree. He would have been the poster child for um, the, the team guy, the accountable guy, the on time guy, the, the the guy that that championships are are built around. And um, so, yeah, man, that was a tragic, tragic story. He was a, he was a good friend of mine clearly protected my tail a lot in college um and his story is phenomenal from from walk on that was overweight about about 308 i think it was he lost down to 250 nobody gave him a chance he walked on loses weight down to 250 builds his body up to just be an absolute mountain of a man to about 290 is an all-american and then indy drafted him in the draft and he was killed before he could get uh into i think he went to one mini camp and they'd already slated him as the potential starter, and he gets killed in a car accident, driving back to his house to go to church with his mother, which he did because his father wasn't around. Every Wednesday night, he missed our ring ceremony because we won the West before that year before. We split the West in the SEC with Mississippi State, and he, he begged Coach to let him miss that meeting so that he could go to church with his mother as he did every Wednesday night and uh, got killed in a car accident going back that way, man. So great family man. Phenomenal player, great person, great story. Check out the movie The Greater, man. You, if you've got kids or if you're a coach and you've got a team, take them to see this movie. There is some valuable, valuable life lessons and, and sports lessons involved. I love listening to you talk about him, man. Clint Sterner, you can hear him 2-6 to six on our flagship sports radio 610 
And I believe, Clint, you're going to be with us throughout the year, man. So this is going to be awesome stuff. We're going to talk ball all year long. You're the best, man. Appreciate your time, brother. Thanks for having me, John. It's all, always a pleasure, my brother. Be good. And go Texans. Absolutely love having Dirty Red on the show. Clint Sterner, great stuff from the old QB right there. Make sure you listen. Two to six, Clint Kamla. He obviously is the Clint part of Clint and Kamla, doing a great job with Rick Kamla on the afternoon show on Sports Radio 610. All right, coming up, it's our good friend Andre Ware. It's another guy who knows quarterbacks. He'll break down this game against the Saints and also what else is going on throughout the AFC South. Andre Ware next on Texans All Access. One hour down, one hour to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and excited about what we've got for you every well every other day. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, those are my days for doing All Access. Six to seven, it'll take you right up to Monday Night Football each and every Monday. Then six to eight Wednesday, six to eight on Friday. Now, Fridays are typically more focused on the matchups. I'll do my keys to the game on both sides of the ball and special teams. I'll do my NFL pickums, both straight up and against the spread. Just my way when I go, when I say against the spread, I'm not advocating the gambling aspect, but just the way to talk about the game. So that's just the way that we do it. So that you have to look forward to on Friday. Andrew Doherty caught up with a very special individual for our final segment on Friday. So you want to definitely stick around for that. One special individual that you will hear plenty of. Monday night, and hopefully there will be joy in his voice. It's Texans color analyst, college football, Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner, and I'm lucky to say good friend of mine, Andre Ware. Dre caught up with Mark earlier today to talk about this matchup and what else is going on throughout the NFL. Andre Ware joining us now on Texans Radio. Dre, we have not caught up since the big moves over the weekend, and let's start here as the Texans get Laramie Tunsil. A lot of talk about the price involved but let's go with what he brings to the table for this offense day one, Monday night at the Superdome. What do you think? Yeah, uh, he's a good young talent that uh, is kind of going to be thrown into the fire. How much of the system uh, he can retain will be what they use against the Saints because you're talking about some pretty uh, pretty good pass rushers and Marcus Davenport and Cameron Jordan. They can move those guys around. Trey Hendrickson and Wes Horton will back those guys up, but uh, it'll be it'll – be, you know, it's kind of a test under fire for Laramie Tunsil. He's all rookie team in, uh, in 2016 when he was drafted. A lot of people around the league think, think highly of him. Uh, he slid in, slipped in the draft for obvious reasons, but uh, the 13th overall pick, I think he fits into the system. It's just how fast uh, he can retain what's being the terminology, the offense as a whole, so that he can be effective because it's, you know, I look at it like this. When you're learning an offense, especially for offensive linemen who have to work and there has to be chemistry there, quarterbacks, it's like, you know, taking a foreign language or starting over as a rookie because you just can't play uh, to your normal capability if you're thinking all the time. So he's got to get up to speed and get up to speed quickly. All right, same question for Kenny Stills coming in at wide receiver. Yeah, pretty much the same thing is that, you know, a lot of the, the uh, concepts may be similar, but uh, the terminology may be different. Uh, you may be asked to run a different route on a certain play that you thought was something in Miami, and uh, that takes chemistry. It's why Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and, you know, all these other Kiki QT, they work in the offseason to build chemistry. And you're asking a guy to come in and basically in a week's time pick up the terminology and get on the same page with all these other receivers. That's a tough, tough chore. 
But ultimately, what do you think those two guys bring to the table once they do get acclimated? Well, you bring pass protection certainly with Tunsil on the left side, and then with Kenny Stills, it's a it's a receiver that uh, that can do some things, you know, down the field. He's he's big, he's strong at six one, two oh two. He's got some speed, and and so uh, he, I think it's a good addition as maybe the third receiver uh, with QT still nursing an ankle. Uh, maybe it's Kenny Stills that uh, that starts Monday night as that third receiver. All right, well, let's see what happens in the backfield as well because we have yet to see Duke Johnson play, but he's been practicing, so that's good. And then you work Carlos Hyde into the lineup. We'll see how they handle everything, and I think that's kind of an advantage for them in a sen- in the sense that the Saints really don't know how the Texans are going to try to handle the running game or throw to the backs. Your thoughts on that part of the operation? Yeah, I like the addition of Carlos Hyde because he brings some physicality. That's just how he runs. He runs hard. Uh He's just a tough, tough inside runner who's got some speed to get to the edges. So they did a nice job in acquiring him. And then Duke Johnson's kind of uh, more of a – I'm, I'm not sure he's an every down back, uh, a three down back. I, I would say Carlos Hyde is that, uh, where you can leave him in on third downs and can catch some passes for you. Duke Johnson is certainly going to help him in the, in, the, uh, in the passing game because he's an outstanding receiver out of the backfield. So – uh, it's a good one-two punch that uh, they'll have for a while. Dre, stopping the Saints, obviously difficult to do. They did it once here. They held them to six points in 2015. I know the team's very different now. Alvin Kamara is a nightmare for a lot of teams. What do you think of being in the Dome and trying to slow them down at least and get out on top? Yeah, he's a guy that scares everybody, and certainly me and, and Kamara, because he does so many things, and he's so explosive, and you, know, you watch all these YouTube videos, and he's pulling trucks with a harness, and, and that's part of his training regimen to get stronger. He's 5'10", about 215, is lightning quick, excellent receiver out of the backfield. And you mix him with a big receiver, a big physical receiver, Michael Thomas, along with a speedster who's still one of the faster players in the league with Ted Ginn. I think the best addition they made to this offense was Jared Cook, a receiving tight end that's big, that can make plays down the field. I've liked him ever since his days at South Carolina, and then we know exactly what Drew Brees is, and, and uh, he's not the all-time passing leader for, uh, uh, for for no reason. The guy can just flat-out play. Last year he was uh, in his latter years, and you're going on the year 19, but I think he set a career mark at 74% completion percentage. So uh, he's still playing at a very high level. This is a very, very dangerous offensive unit how much does it blow your mind about breeze because i remember you and i standing on the field in new orleans in 2008 after the texans practiced there in the preseason and we interviewed breeze and he's not the biggest guy in the world let's face it but he plays big and he also is incredibly accurate as you just pointed out what about the longevity of breeze yeah i mean 67 percent for his career and a lot of guys would take that in a season and you know that would be a career best for a lot of guys in this season over I think he's thrown 520 touchdown passes and he's not a big guy you wonder how does he get it done how can he see uh you know over uh over the defense over the offensive line but he finds throwing lanes he anticipates uh very very well and that's what makes it tough on a defense is his ability to anticipate and that's a guy that we just spoke of of the uh of Watson going out with Hop and and uh and Will Fuller and building chemistry well, he's one of the best in the business, Drew Brees, at doing just that, which is 
why it allows him to anticipate throws based on body language and guys where they're, where they're supposed to be. The ball is delivered and it's out on time. It's tough, tough to sack Drew Brees. Andre, let's talk about the AFC South for a moment. Andrew Luck is out in Indianapolis. Now Jacoby Brissett takes over. We know it's a much better team than the one he had in 2017 a couple of years ago when Luck sat out the season. But what do you expect out of Brissett and that Colts offense this year, the Colts as a team overall in the AFC South? Yeah, I expect them to kind of really just bring him along slowly early in the season and just say, you know, hey, don't try to do too much. We know you know the offense, but look, we're going to just take advantage of the playmakers that we've placed around you and utilize them. And as the season grows uh, and as he gains more confidence, they will open. Frank Reich has been fantastic at handling this whole thing. They will start to give him more and more each and every week. Frank Reich, I think, came out this week and said that, hey, he is our leader. He's the guy that we believe in. I think you just have to sometimes as a head coach just go out on a limb and put that in a player's head that we believe in you. You're our leader now. We have moved and turned the page and moved forward. And that's what they. That's how they believe in view. Jacoby Brissett. Texans have never beaten him. He's 4-0 and starts against them, so uh, it won't be easy. But the Colts have really upgraded their roster on both sides of the football around Jacoby Brissett, the quarterback. All right, so they play the Chargers week one. What do you think of that? I know San Diego's banged up when you look at some of the guys who have to sit that one out, but they are at home, whatever that means in that building, and they do have Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I, but I still like I like the Colts in that game because of all of what you just mentioned in terms of being banged up. A lot of guys out of the lineup. They don't have uh, the workhorse back in Melvin Gordon, uh, certainly this week, and who knows for how long. Uh, they're a different team. They lost their left tackle. Uh, he's not playing with blood clots, uh, Russell Okung. So it, it, I think it's tough. I think the Colts are in a better situation health-wise. Even without Andrew Luck, I think they get this one done. Okay, so take me to Jacksonville, where they entertain, for lack of a better word, the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs. What do you think? Yeah, that that, uh, that is tough for anybody, uh, including Jacksonville, whether it's home, away, in London, Mexico, wherever. The, the Chiefs are just uh, they're just going to score a lot of points. And uh, Jacksonville's got a superb defense, but I don't think it's built to uh, to stop a team like the Chiefs. It is uh, more of a, a physical style of defense that is that can uh, kind of punch you in the mouth. They don't like playing in space, which is exactly what Andy Reid is going to do with Pat Mahomes. He'll spread it out and, and take advantage of the speed that he's uh, had and added to uh, this offseason. So it's for me, it's Kansas City big in this first one. All right, so Jacksonville comes to NRG Stadium one week from Sunday for the home opener for the Texans' Liberty White kickoff. Now, the Titans are taking on the Cleveland Browns, the high-profile Cleveland Browns to over the season. Your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think this may be one of the better uh, better matchups of, uh, of, the, of opening week in, in terms of uh, two talented teams. I think Cleveland has yet to, uh, to really prove it to me. I remember a few years ago, uh, I think it was the Redskins that put a roster together with all this talent they went out and acquired, and, and then they laid an egg. And just because you, you have an enormous amount of talent, yeah, it's good, uh, but you have to build chemistry because you have a lot of individuals that have had a lot of success otherwise, and uh, just not a lot of balls to go around. So um, when you look at it, I, I, I just I don't see Cleveland. They've got to prove it to me. And 
this will be a week that they could start down that road. All right, Andre, what do you have on the college circuit? Going to Mississippi State with a good matchup against Southern Miss. It's two teams that are uh, very equal. They're 14-14-1 and one in 29 games. Both teams scored 38 points a week ago. So uh, it's one of those in-state rival games that I know Southern Miss will be up for uh, traveling to Starkville. Some pretty good players uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, I really, really look forward to this one this weekend. All right, be safe, my friend. We'll see you in New Orleans and get ready for the opener on Monday night. Appreciate it, man. We'll see you there. Cannot wait. One of my great joys every single week in my life is to spend three-plus hours with those two gentlemen on the broadcast. Mark Vandermeer. Andre Ware and myself, we have a blast uh, on the radio. I just, I just love it. It's a great time. And Dre is one of the best analysts you're going to find anywhere. So glad that he spends a few minutes with us on this Wednesday show. Now, a guy that was a player and then turned into a play-by-play voice, you don't see that often. But Zach Street did that for the New Orleans Saints. We'll have our Men Behind the Mics segment next right here on Texans All Access. One of the homework assignments that I give to Mark Vandermeer every single week, which is kind of tough to do, because Mark is my boss. But we came up with this a few years ago, and I love it. It's my idea. But I think Mark likes it too. We call it Men Behind the Mics, where Mark spends 10 to 12 minutes getting a feel for the opponent through the eyes of the play-by-play voice on the other side. Well, this week, it's a little unique, because Zach Streif has been the play-by-play voice for the Saints for only two years. His first year was last year. Well, he was an offensive tackle the last time that the Saints played the Texans. He started in that game as a tackle. This time, he's the play-by-play voice. Here's our Men Behind the Mic segment. Mark Vandermeer sitting now with New Orleans Saints play-by-play voice, Zach Street. First of all, before we get into the nitty-gritty on the team, how has it been for you being voice of the Saints? Uh, it's a pretty incredible opportunity for sure. I- I've had an absolute blast with it. It certainly helps when the team is successful like they were last year, but um, as you know, it really is a very special job um, getting to be a part of the organization uh, after my career ended. I got to spend 12 years playing for the Saints. To get to turn around now and, and uh, be a part of the organization still has been wonderful. And I know Deuce and I are, are really looking forward to another great season here in New Orleans. Zach, how did it come about? How were you able to get into the booth like that after a great playing career now, voice of the Saints? kind of i tell you it's it's, it's probably all, all accidental really it wasn't something that i had long kind of uh wanted to do i had taken some meetings with local media uh some some folks had reached out and asked if i was interested and, and to be honest with you i wasn't super interested in doing uh local media i'd spent my whole career kind of being criticized at times and i didn't want to do that to anybody else and but but I took a I took an interview at WWL, which is the flagship station for the Saints here in New Orleans, and, and we sat down and talked. And you know, at the end of the meeting, it was basically you know this this industry a lot of times is what's available, and you know there's not a ton available right now. As a matter of fact, the only role that we're really having to fill is Jim's, and and that that being Jim Henderson, who was the voice of the Saints for 32 seasons. And I said, yeah, I know. And then and they said, you know, that's not really a player job. You know, that's not a that's not a role that players usually take on. And I said, I understood that, and I walked out of the office, and by the time I got to my car, I had pretty much convinced myself that that was kind of the dream opportunity that I never expected would pop up, and I, I walked back upstairs and said, I'd really like um, for if you guys were, were would be willing to give me an opportunity to at least train um, to try and, and, and you know, do, do a game 
and and see if you guys think I have potential to do it. It's it's a job that I, I think I could I could do and, and do well. And I was fortunate that they got over their initial laugh, which is my first response I got was a giggle. Um, that you know that that job is not something you walk into, and it certainly isn't. Um, but they gave me the opportunity, and and the kind of the rest is history right now. And uh, again, it's it's just it's such an incredible job, and and so much fun, and and there's so much energy, and just to be a part of it all is still really has been wonderful for me. Outstanding. What has been the biggest challenge in being a play-by-play announcer for you, getting into this business, getting into the booth in the NFL? You know, I think a lot of it is it's there's you know there's there's kind of the this some of the minutia in the in the broadcast and it's funny because I think for most of you guys that's the stuff that is second nature but it was those were the things I had never done uh, I had I had apprehension about going to commercial breaks and coming out of breaks and, you know when you listen to a broadcast even it's not the thing that you really remember and so I was relying so much on on other people and kind of their style and what they were doing and yet those were the, the those were the parts you know coming in and out of breaks and and doing those things that I was really anxious about, but ultimately it's all the broadcasting part of it. It's, 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 you know, doing an interview correctly and, and, and kind of telling a story and controlling your voice and all of those things that go into it. The football side of it has been my crutch. And I think that's probably where I differ from a lot of guys that are in this role is, you know, I have not, not only an intimate knowledge of, of professional football, but of the saints specifically. And so I've really kind of leaned back on that knowledge to save me when, you know, the broadcasting side of me is, is, is not quite ready there um, to do something smooth or well. And I think all of that stuff will come with time. I think it's a terrific story. Zach Streep joining us here on Texans Radio, voice of the New Orleans Saints. All right, so take me to the O-line here for a moment because the Texans have a lot of transition going on with rookie guards slash tackles. When you look at Titus Howard and Max Sharping, they bring in Laramie Tunsil, and they're trying to put it together. Whatever they put out there, they're trying to put it together quickly. So what about the challenges involved there? From where you sit with your playing experience and now being a member of the media, what do you think of the Texans' O-line situation? Well, obviously, I think that's been your guys' discussion the entire offseason. Obviously, letting your quarterback get sacked 62 times in a year is not a good situation to be in, especially when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson that you see as your future and your franchise guy. And, um, you know, I, I think to, to the Texans' credit, they've really went out and, and spent the resources that they felt they needed to to try to shore that up. And you talk about Laramie Tunsil, I think one of the most promising young left tackles in football. Uh, you know, Titus Howard's a guy that quite honestly surprises me a little bit to see him in the starting lineup, but that's a good sign coming from a small school. And um, this will be a big jump for him and it'll be interesting. I, I know if it was me, Having my first NFL start being the first game in the Superdome, that's a, that's a tall task and something that he'll have to learn to deal with. But I think ultimately what you've seen is the Texans do a good job of reshaping that offensive line. And, you know, if there's any downside to it, it's, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to all kind of gel um, and to get comfortable in those, you know, in their new roles and, and the communication and the nonverbal communication that happens at the offensive line position. It's, that, that'll be their challenge. Zach, Drew Brees, you've been in the huddle with him, you've protected him, you've blocked for him, and now you're observing him as a play-by-play announcer. So give me something on Brees. How has he lasted so long and played so well for so long? Well, there's a couple things, I think. One, and we talk about all the time, the level of consistency that he not just plays with but lives his life with is really it's, it's earth-shattering to me. I, I can't fathom 
the level of consistency that he lives his life with. He's extremely regimented, extremely scheduled, all of this stuff. He takes good care of himself, and I think people are all aware that you don't play into your 40s if you don't. But he's so consistent, and his preparation is, is almost maniacal, the amount of time he spends, the ability that he has to break teams down. And I think the last thing and, and the thing that will always serve him well is Drew Brees has never been a quarterback that relied on physical skill. He's never had a big arm. He's never been, uh, you know, 6'5". He's never been the big guy. He's always kind of been someone that found ways to be successful around some of those limitations. And, and to that point, he's just going to continue to do what he's always done, and that is rely on his accuracy, rely on his anticipation. Um, and, and those things have served him very well, and they don't really have anything to do with your body getting older. So I think he's still got a, a, an arm good enough to make the throws that he needs to make and and when some of those throws start coming up that are a little bit harder when the 35 yard out is no longer an option for Drew Brees he'll just throw it a little bit early because that's the kind of guy he is and, and he's good at adapting so Zach last year we all know what happened in the NFC championship game we remember the playoffs from the year before the Saints are an outstanding football team but we know every year is different how are the Saints going to be different in 2019 well I think if you look at the kind of the makeup of this team you know when you when you start looking down starters, there's been very little turnover on this roster, um, and the turnover that has happened for the most part has been uh, to our benefit. You look at the loss of Mark Ingram, um, and and they went out and signed Latavius Murray to replace him. They've been really happy with Latavius, and the big signing for the Saints this year was Jared Cook. But I think the story of this team is the depth that they've been able to amass, and that's something you're able to do when you have as many guys coming back as the Saints did. Um, they are a really deep football team, really on both sides of the ball. Um, and, and I think that's going to serve them very well. When you look at an NFL season and all of the difficulties, any fan base can, can tell you or remember the time when, man, we lost you know three offensive linemen and we were down three receivers. And the bottom line is those guys behind them have to then go in and play at a high level and win football games. And I think the Saints are as set in that area as they've maybe ever been in Sean Payton's era. They're extremely deep, and I think they have a lot of confidence in the guys that are in the back end of their roster, and that will serve them well as the season goes on. How much does Alvin Kamara mean to the attack? What does he bring? We see it on video, but in your opinion, what is the net positive here? I think he's just a total nightmare for defensive coordinators. The Saints use him in so many different ways, and he's so versatile. He catches the ball like a wide receiver out of the backfield. Um, he can run between the tackles, which is something that he probably doesn't get near as much credit for as he should. He's got tremendous patience and vision. He's had incredible balance. He's so hard to bring down in the open field. He's got tremendous lower body strength. He just kind of does everything really well. And I, I don't know that there's any one thing that is necessarily elite, but there's no weaknesses in his game. And, and I think that makes him very difficult for defenses in, in a Sean Payton offense because Sean is going to put him in a lot of very advantageous situations. He's going to get good, positive uh, matchups for him. And, you know, you, you will inevitably watch in this game Alvin Kamara get matched up one-on-one -on -one with your middle linebacker and people going, well, why is he covering him? And it's because Sean Payton is a genius at that. And uh, I think the combination of them two is just very difficult for defenses to deal with because the guy is just good at everything that he does. Zach, one more for you. From the outside looking in to New Orleans, people think that the Superdome, the fan base, the team, it's like one volcano ready to erupt on Monday night. Your thoughts on 
what they've carried with them throughout the offseason after what happened in the NFC Championship game and the fact that this is the first time the Saints take the field in a meaningful game since then. You're right. It is probably like a volcano waiting to, to erupt. And, you know, we went through our little phase here. We, we had to deal with our uh, emotions a little bit, and we let our pettiness out, which was good. It was part of our healing process. Um, but I think this city is and, and always has been just excited for the start of an NFL season. I think they're so revved up for this game. And, and quite honestly, they're always excited and revved up for Monday night football. And so the opportunity to play on Monday night, uh, you know, in prime time against, against what is a great opponent in the Houston Texans. And I think that the fans acknowledge that this is a very big game for the Saints. They have a very rough stretch to open up. It's a must win. I think people feel like that here. And I assume that the crowd will uh, respond accordingly like they always do here. I absolutely love that segment with Mark and the play-by-play voice from the other side. I, this one I was more intrigued about than any other because Zach is really new to the business the last couple of years, but he's got things under control and doing a good job there in New Orleans. Now, speaking of doing a good job, we're hoping that Laramie Tunsil does a great job for this offensive line. The In the Lab crew, Drew Doherty and myself, we discussed this deal in depth and why we were fans of this deal. I'll for you next right here on Texans All Access. One final segment on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, and it's time for myself and my In the Lab podcast partner, Drew Doherty, to jump in and talk about this Laramie Tunsil deal. Here's a hint. We liked it. My head was spinning on Saturday, <laughs> seeing what was going down. Yeah. Uh, there were a variety of moves, but we're focusing on the Laramie Tunsil acquisition. Enormous. In a vacuum... We're going to take a few different looks at this. We're going to look at what Laramie Tunsil means to this team solely in a vacuum. Just what he means to this team. Not not what the compensation was, not what the compensation might have to be someday. Just what his addition means right now. Second aspect, I want to talk about what first-round draft picks have been, have the potential to be. Third, I want to kind of hit on the window of opportunity that was there. And I'm not talking about from the Texans' point of view. I'm talking about from the Miami point of view, and I think that's a very important aspect of this. It hasn't really been discussed too, too much. But solely in a vacuum, Johnny, Laramie Tunsil, one of the best left tackles in the game. Now, there's that that idea out there, well, he hasn't hasn't been named to a Pro Bowl. He hasn't been named All-Pro. But this guy's very, very effective at what he does. And you saw it firsthand uh, in primetime when the Dolphins were here last year. You walloped the Dolphins, but it wasn't because of Laramie Tunsil. Um, What's this guy do to the offensive line? A, as a left tackle, but B, as a cascading effect in helping out the rest of the line, John. First of all, let's take a step back. Harris 100, 2016. Laramie Tunsil was my number one prospect. And there were some prospects in that. In fact, my top three prospects were Laramie Tunsil, one, Jalen Ramsey, two, Miles Jack, three. It's pretty accurate. feel pretty good about that. I like that. Here's what I said about Tunsil. The class of the 2016 NFL draft class, playing the most important position outside of quarterback. He's a bona fide left tackle, and I've thought that since his first start as a true freshman in 2013. Exactly what an NFL left tackle looks like. Missed half of 2015 season after being suspended due to NCAA inquiry. Had the season-ending injury in 2014 Peach Bowl the year prior. Plays with great knee bend, powerful base, quick and explosive in all of his movements. Great lateral quickness, technique, sound. Seemingly never gets rattled, and that's a key. Doesn't cross over his feet. The last piece doesn't cross over his feet. You hear that and go, oh, who cares about that? You watch well, a lot of tackles get in trouble. Around, that's happened around here, Connick. 
recently. When you have offensive linemen that are crossing over their feet when they're trying to stay, basically playing basketball with a pass rusher. It's like playing, you know, it's like playing basketball. You can cover somebody, and, and as you shuffle, you're crossing your feet over. You're going you're gonna to trip on yourself. You're not going to be as quick. And a lot of offensive linemen do that, and they get in trouble because of it. Larry Tunsil is athletic enough that that's not going to happen. But it's that last one seemingly never gets rattled. He, just watching him, I went, I went back and I, I started with our game. So I started with the box score. And I was like, what did our guys do against him? Well, in that game, Watt had a sack and a TFL. Clowney had a quarterback hurry. I don't think Whitney had anything. Then I went and watched the game and realized, and I, and I was pretty sure about this, that Watt stayed on the left side the whole time. So he didn't, I don't think he faced Laramie at all that I can remember. Clowney got his quarterback hurry when he went over to that side when Watt was out of the game. Clowney got his quarterback hurry going against Juwan James on the other side. Mm-hmm. So Clowney got nothing against Tunsil. And the one thing that I, I thought was fascinating about watching Tunsil v. Clowney in particular was Clowney was as quick as any edge player I can remember. Like, I mean, he was quick. Like, he could, you know, kind of dart in and go out. And you might stay on the block, but you weren't in good position on it. Laramie just played basketball with him and just slid and slid and slid and slid and Clowney's like, what do I do? Like, he's throwing, he trying to. Clowney couldn't go anywhere on him. So then a little while later, Whitney comes in and Whitney rushes off that side and Whitney's like, I'm going to bull him. Decides to, to bull rush him. Not an easy guy to bull rush, Johnny. And so Laramie kind of gives a little bit. Like, you know, Whitney's a 200, what, 50, 255 pound guy. You get hit by that and, and he's got leverage on you. You're going to go backwards a little bit. But what I loved about it was. Laramie, to my point about never gets rattled, he just sunk his butt in his hips, re-anchored, and just locked him up. Hmm. Then Brian Tannehill threw in, or Brock Osweiler threw in completion. But it, that really wasn't the point. How he moves along the arc, his kick step, everything is so fluid. I saw him. I went and I watched the Colts game last year. They played the Colts up in Indianapolis. I watched him against Kimiko Toure and – uh, Taekwon Lewis and some good some good edge athletes. And, Who he's going to see more of this year, right? In addition, to, not just those guys, but right other guys too. Yeah, spin move, just slit. Now, now Ryan Tannehill is playing quarterback at that point, and it's like Tannehill didn't feel he just kind of stayed in the pocket. He had no pocket mechanics at all. He just kind of stayed in the pocket, and the the spin move, Laramie does the right thing. He spins back inside, and he kind of just slides with it inside. The quarterback should just back up, slide out, complete the pass. Sean will do that. Tannehill didn't, and he ended up getting um, getting touched, made a bad throw, whatever the case might be. But just watching him move and pass protection and how fluid he is and how athletic he is and his bend, everything that I said in that scouting report is him as a left tackle in the NFL. So how does that cascade to the other guys? Because – there's been a an argument out there that well it's just one guy it's not going to make okay. this bad offensive line better I mean that's not I, true I think this has I think this has a ripple effect everywhere number one he you can get to a point where you can you can take your protection and you can slide it opposite him and just say look you, you're that he's your guy one on one he's out on island he's yours you know a lot of teams do that in coverage with the secondary. You know, the Jags do that. They'll just take Ramsey and go, go with Hopkins. We'll figure the rest out. 
And it allows everybody else to kind of, you know, sometimes you double a guy, some, you double somebody else. You just let Ramsey get one-on-one with Hopkins. Sometimes you're going to win, sometimes you're going to lose. But, you know, Ramsey's going to be with Hopkins, and that's going to be a battle all day long. So you can do that with protection to a degree. You can't, can't always, okay, well, there are good rushers over there. You're going to move Larry. You're not going to do that. But what you can do is, okay, if a team says, all right, we don't want to rush on Larry, we're going to put our good rusher over there. Well, you take four guys and you slide the protection that way. Laramie goes one-on-one with his guy. You take the other four, they account for those guys. Back picks up a blitzer or an add-on, and you're in a you're better shape than you were because now you got four blocking two, maybe even three guys with a back taking somebody else. And you got Laramie just going one-on-one against presumably a pretty good, darn good pass rusher. So you've got you've got that aspect. The other aspect of it, so so it cascades down to the offensive line, obviously. So those four guys, you know, you don't have to leave the left guard over there to maybe help on that side. You know, sometimes when, when Nick is uncovered as the center, sometimes the center is uncovered and you're in protection, that guy scans. He scans. Well, he doesn't have to scan out to the left. He's just got to make sure there's no nickel coming or anything like that coming that he's got to go peel out and get. He knows Laramie's got that. Hey, don't. Let me t- look. Don't worry about that. I got this. You scan the other way, and so now you've got a view from B gap to C gap as opposed to C gap to C gap. So you just let him handle all that. I think the biggest ripple effect it has, Drew, is on Deshaun, obviously. But here's why: I think with Deshaun, he likes to be in empty. He likes to be in the shotgun. And one of the things about being in the shotgun, first of all, it's something he's done his entire life. It's what he did all through college. Right. Before that, in Georgia. Absolutely. So it's something he's comfortable with. Not saying that he hasn't grown comfortable being under center, but right. he's, you know, so you can get in a situation where you can take your jets that you now have, Hopkins, Fuller, QT, Stills, Carter, and make all five. I don't put all five out there. Make, <laughs> take Carter up, put Johnson out. You know, take him out there and go empty. And let him just start dealing. And you can do that. You can do that first drive of the game. You can do that in the second quarter just to hit the team with something different. Yeah. And now you can do it because you know that side's going to be protected. So now you can go empty. And you can go empty and give some help to the, to the right side if you need to. If you need to give Terrell some help, if you need to give one of the guards some help, that's fine. Nick can help. You don't have to slide the line out to Laramie. Laramie's got it one-on-one. He's going he's gonna to handle that. Now, is it going to be perfect every single time? No, because they're good rushers in this league. They get paid too. He's going to see some good ones early on. He's going to see Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport. He's going to see Josh Allen, Yannick Ngakwe, and Clays Campbell. He's going to see Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. But I'm going to try to have Laramie Tunsil protecting against those guys and anybody else in this mm-hmm. league. Mm-hmm. Anybody else. You're talking about a 25-year-old on the verge of being one of the best left tackles in the game. So you allow Deshaun to be empty. You allow him to be in a shotgun and feel like he's protected, that allows him to just sit back there and deal the cards. Just deal them out to your weapons and let them do the work. And that's, I think, ultimately what this offense wants to be. Get the ball from Deshaun to your weapons. Let him decide. Keep him protected. And then this thing will blow up. You just mentioned all those great things about Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, but John, you gave up two first-rounders and a second-rounder. John, Yeah. well, listen, first-rounders, you think you got a good one in Titus Howard this year. You're going to see. You think you got a good one in Max Sharping? Right. You're going to see. Right. Three really, really good offensive linemen under the age of 26, 27 on their way up. 
You know, that's that's exciting. Yep. That's a nice future. But there are no guarantees when you've got a, a draft pick, right. and especially when you're picking in the 20s where sure. you think the Texans are going to pick. This is all but a guarantee that you are really, really making your line a lot better, and it's not going to happen too often. First-round picks, John. They're not certainties. No, they're not. And you can look at this two ways. Number one, you can look at the picks. And I know some. I, I was listening to, the, to Seth Payne, and he kind of he, he poo pooed this a little bit. And and I, I understand what he's saying. Speculating that the Texans will be picking in the twenty to thirty two range is it, it's speculation. But we live in a speculation business. I mean, that's what the, yeah. that's what the NFL is. I mean, you're forecasting draft picks. You're forecasting a trade, like what the trade's going to look. I mean, so. I went back and I looked at – I did a couple a couple of research items. I went back and I looked at every left tackle in the league, and I looked at the ones that have been successful, and I looked at how long it took them to be successful. And so I looked at a guy like Joe Staley. Joe Staley was drafted in 2007, his first rounder in 2007. Mm-hmm. He went to his first Pro Bowl five years into his career. Right. Dwayne Brown, 2008, went to his first Pro Bowl – Five years into his career, now I'm just using the Pro Bowl as kind of just a measuring stick. It's, it still it's still means not something, end all, be all. It still means something. It still means though. a little something. I understand why a lot of people poo-poo it. I understand, but right, it still means you've got a better player than than the league average. Right. Um, Trent Williams was drafted in 2010, and Tyron Smith was drafted in 2011. Both of those guys made it in their third years. That's the lowest amount of time. That's the minimum amount of time it took to get a Pro Bowl, a Pro Bowl left tackle out of a First round left tackle. Mm-hmm. That's it. Everybody else, five years, five years. Taylor Luan made the Pro Bowl. He made it in his third year. He made it in 2016. Eric Fisher was the first overall pick in 2013. He made the Pro Bowl in his sixth year. Jake Matthews made it in his fifth year. Um, those guys were all first rounders. No, no left tackle made the Pro Bowl any earlier than their third years. And that was guys from 2010 and 2011. Mm-hmm. So it takes a while for a left tackle to grow in that spot and be dominant at that position as Tyron Smith and Trent Williams. And, and arguably, those are two of the best guys still, still in the league. Now, you think, okay, well, you draft a young left tackle, you let him grow, and you be your guy, right? Well, from 2015, starting with the 2015 draft, going back and look at the 2015 draft, there have been 19 first-round tackles I guess as you would you would say maybe thought to be tackles. Yeah, nineteen. How many of them panned out? How many of them made the Pro Bowl? Out of that nineteen, mm-hmm. two, zero, not one. So, I mean, and some might make it yet because now this, you still got that five year thing that you were talking right. about. Right. So of those of those picks from twenty fifteen through twenty nineteen, a couple of them went to guard. Like Brandon Sheriff went to guard. Andrew Pete, who we'll see on Monday night, he went to guard, and they've stayed at guard. Cedric Obwehi, pick number 21. And that's the other thing. The picks that were made from 20 on down, a handful of them, not a handful, a couple of them, have actually become left tackles, but not very good ones. DJ Humphreys out in Arizona, Garrett Bowles in Denver. Those are two guys that turn to left tackles. I mean, they've started, but it's been a mess. Yeah, Bowles might get moved inside here soon. Right, Exactly. DJ Humphreys are trying to decide whether Arizona, what Arizona wants to do with him. Yeah. Um, the other tackle that was drafted, the few other tackles that were drafted in the 20s, Cedric Oboehe is a backup in Jacksonville. Jermaine Effetti in Seattle, he might be out of the league here soon. He was drafted in 2016. Ryan Ramchek 
is a good one. But guess where he plays? Right tackle. Yeah. Isaiah Wynn, drafted 2018 at number 23. He's injured. Caleb McGarry, don't know what's going to happen with him. This is this year. He's injured. Titus Howard is going to be a guard. Andre Dillard, he won't start this year. Could he be something? Yeah. That's 2015 on. So the point being, if you if you drafted, even if you drafted Titus Howard and you thought he's going to be a left tackle, the, the numbers and the analytics tell you it takes you three years to be a really good left tackle. You've accelerated the timetable. And guess what happens in three years? You're going to have Deshaun Watson on a second contract, so you're not really taking advantage of him being on his rookie contract. Yeah. So you've got that. So then I added 2014 in the mix, too, just to have another year. And so here were my final numbers from 2014 on. Because in 2014, Greg Robinson was taking number two overall. Yes, he was. And Jake Matthews was taking number six. Now, Jake struggled. He made the Pro Bowl in year five. Taylor Luan at number 11 has actually been a pretty good success story. And then Juwan James was taking Miami. He didn't get a second contract. He played right tackle Miami and then took a contract to go to Denver. 23 first-rounders from 2014 through 2019. Five became capable left tackle starters. Not pro bowlers, capable. Two, just two became pro bowlers, and they were both in 2014, Luan and Matthews. Four became guards. Two became left starters that just right now don't need to be starters, Bowles being one and Colton yeah. Miller being the other one. Right. Those, those aren't, that's not just beyond 20. That's all the guys that you would label as tackle selections in the draft from 2014 through 2019. So you gave up what you gave up, but what you got is something that's sped up your timetable, and that's right. a good thing. Right. My last point on this is the window. We were just talking about the window for the Texans. Right. How long would Laramie Tunsil have been available by the Dolphins? Would it have been for another week? Would right. it have been for another few days? Because you get the feeling that they're searching for that quarterback and they might have thought, well, we need to have a good left tackle in place right. when we do find this quarterback, so he's going to be untouchable. We don't know how long that might that might have that might have bled into next year, but I don't know that it would have. Right. Might not might have ended by week one, by week one and a half. Right. So you had to strike when you struck, and ultimately your team is better now, and your team has taken care of a spot that's been a real bugaboo since Dwayne Brown left. Yep, you've, you've struggled there, and you think if he's there, he's healthy. That's something you don't have to worry about for a while. Yep, and that's I think that's. That's the key. It's, you know, what does Ron Popeil say? Set it and forget it, um, as seen on television sort of thing. But when I – a lot of thoughts came just racing in. First of all, I was such a big fan of Laramie when he was at Ole Miss, just mm-hmm. the athlete. He also grew – he played high school ball at uh, Columbia High School in Lake City, Florida. Which yeah, is close just, to Jacksonville. It's yeah. close to Jacksonville. So I, I've kept tabs on – I've tried to keep tabs on the players from the Jacksonville area for a long time. You know, Derek Henry from Uly, um, and some of the others that have come out of Jacksonville. And Laramie was one of the best to come out of Lake City. And they've got a heck of a program down at Columbia. So I've kind of kept tabs on him from that perspective. And look, he's, you know, the the issues that Laramie had, they were, they were well known. But Laramie went down to Miami, played guard his first year. He stepped in a left tackle the next two years and was really growing into the left tackle that everybody thought he was going to be and that, that think he can be. And then you see him out on the field and you realize, wow, this guy's built just – he's like an athlete. I mean, I watch him on film and he, you know, he's got the legs of what looks like a linebacker. John, you know? I-, I tweeted out a video last night or Monday night of the Texans stretching. Yeah, yeah. J.J. Watt yeah. next to Laramie Tunsil yep. and they were kind of doing one of those lunge things. Right. 
and I got so many responses like, "Holy cow, that guy's enormous!" Like, yeah. I mean, he's an offensive lineman in the NFL. You got to you got to think the guy's gonna be big. But right. seeing him next to JJ Watt, I think kind of crystallized things for a lot of folks who might have been on the fence about him, right? Or maybe didn't even see him play. I had before. never seen. And yeah, who really is watching yeah. everything that the Miami Dolphins are doing every Sunday? So to your question earlier, Drew, I mean, I went through that whole exercise about giving up, you know, first round picks. So listen, I have anybody would tell you, you build, you build the team in the draft. Yep. And the Texans have done that. Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, Roger McKinney, Zach Cunningham. But guys like this at this position right. are never available. Right. Never available. Right. And I don't even know that he was available. I think the Texans somehow talked the Dolphins into making him available. And that's a good thing because Larry Tunsil is now a Texan. A lot of people to thank for this show. Start with Drew Doherty, Zach Street, Mark Vandermeer, D.P. Sidhu, Andre Ware, Tashawn Gibson, Clint Sterner, and all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.